When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Builder? We are back again with another episode. And in this episode, we have Bernie Roth coming at you. And he has been a professor for over 40 years at Stanford. So obviously, he's had an opportunity to speak with some of the brightest minds. He's had an opportunity to get pitched by so many people because he's out there in Silicon Valley. So we really break down what that looks like and how he went from not liking education, not liking school at all, to now being being a professor at one of the biggest universities for over 40 years. He now teaches people how they can not use their excuses to limit their abilities, how they can change any self-image and really become an achiever. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right on into it. Bernie, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? Sure. Hi, thanks. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to talk with you and your people. Oh, absolutely. This is going to be a really fun one. Now, as I was uh, telling you before, well, first off, I always like to make sure that we can give the proper introduction. And so I know that you are a world-renowned professor. You're an author. You've been teaching thousands of students for many years. But I always like to think of us and everyone has this power of an of a entrepreneur in them. And I like to associate entrepreneurs with superheroes. Why is because we're constantly putting on capes, we're flying around the world, and we are trying to solve problems, whether they're our own or our community problems. And so before you became this world-renowned professor and, and author and everything else, if we can take it back to when you were just a young boy, tell sure. me, who is Bernie Roth? Well, he's a kid who grew up in the Bronx in a uh, sort of uh, Jewish ghetto surrounded by hostile Italian and Irish people and had a kind of loving parents. But my mother died when I was 12 years old and uh, my father had the what we now call bipolar condition. In those days, we called the manic depressive. So basically, 
from age 12 on, I was sort of a street kid and that I had no parental guidance and all that, which I think, I mean, there's a big sadness in my heart about all of that, but basically it empowered me to be self-sufficient and take care of myself and uh, survive on the streets of New York and and I had a lovely time about it, I must say. I was freer than most of my cohort friends and uh, you know, sort of a juvenile delinquent and didn't like school very much and uh, did a lot of bad things, but they weren't terrible, but you know, they weren't the greatest things. And eventually I went to college because everybody else went to City College in New York in my neighborhood. And uh, didn't take it very seriously. And about the second year, I got a note from the dean, you're flunking out. Uh, we'll give you one more term on probation. And at that point, I said, well, they can't do that to me. I'm smart enough not to flunk out. And then I essentially went straight A from then on in and got to love education, got to love school, and went on for a master's degree at Columbia University and a PhD at Columbia University, and uh, <clears throat> then became a professor at Stanford. So that's a capsulation of my life trip in a way. <clears throat> and I'm still doing that. So I started in Stanford in 1962 and I'm still actively involved and, uh, you know, enjoying every minute of it. I love it. Now that's something for a lot of people. I want to tap into that because you said you weren't getting good grades and you almost flunked out. And a lot of people, they have the intellectual ability and they have the gifts inside, but it's so much of their surroundings that make them not, because we all love to learn something new. I think from even when we're a child, we love curiosity. We love to expose to to different things, but I think it becomes our surroundings of why maybe we say school's not for us, or maybe we're just not being taught the things that we're most interested in. So, How did you have that mindset shift to all of a sudden in one semester, you say, hey, they can't do this to me. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to to, to yeah. flip everything. Well, it, it, had, it had to do with the two things I actually talk about in my book, which is attention and intention. Mm-hmm. So I, I had not given it. I didn't have a strong intention to go to school, but it was what, what I default thing. But I I didn't give it any attention at all. I never did much homework. You know, I was bright, so I could kind of fake it a little bit and stumble along and, you know, by get, get charitable C's and D's and <laughs> somehow managed to have only flunked one course in that part of the term. But basically, I wasn't doing it. I was pretending to go to school. You know, I was physically going there, but, you know, I cut a class to go to the game. I did. I saw the, I don't know if you know what they call the shot heard around the world. This is this home run by Bobby Thompson mm. in a game between the Giants and Dodgers. Well, I was there for that. I should have been in college, but, you know, it was an exciting game. So I cut school and went to the polo ground. So, you know, it was that kind of thing. I really was giving it no attention at all. It was mm. just... I was going in name only. And when I got this message that was, you know, an ultimatum, I realized somehow that I really did want to do that. And I stopped, you know, my main interest before that was chasing girls and playing stickball on the street. It wasn't school. And it switched to doing homework and staying up all night to get the job done. And it just, I put my focus on it. And, you know, I luckily I had the ability and, you know, it, 
it worked out fine, and, and I actually got to like it. But before then, it, it was just not not something I gave any attention to. Got it. Now, let me ask for you, do you think that it had anything to do with your mother? You know, maybe. And the reason why I say that is because, of course, a lot of the times we go to college, we go to school because we feel like at least early on, we want to make our parents proud and we want to make them happy. So for you losing your mother at, you know, the age of 12, did you feel like that that was something that she would be proud if you didn't flunk out? Did that have anything to do yeah, with it? Uh, I don't know that it was there. Maybe it was, well, you know, I had an aunt who was very concerned, an older sister of my mother. So, you know, there were family members, but they didn't live close to us. They lived elsewhere, you know, in, in New York City area. So, you know, there may have been some thing about losing face of the family in that way. My father was so oblivious, it wouldn't have mattered one way or the other, really. To him, he had a, you know, if you asked him, he said, yeah, my, you should become a doctor or something like that. But he he never graduated high school and he had no real, uh, he had come to America as an immigrant and uh, he had a rough life. So uh, I I'd say maybe it was a more actually saving face for the guys on the street, more <laughs> the kind of hoodlums I hung out with. It was just, you know, I didn't want to, to say Bernie's so dumb he flunked out of school. I would say that would be more pressure than my mother because at that at that point, that's really where all my rewards and interests were, my peer group of people on the street, you know, that I hung out with. So it was more, more that than the, the memory of my mother. You know, I have a strong memory and it's a strong influence, but it's more to be a good person rather than to, to achieve in academic ways and all that. She, she just also, you know, she, she had never graduated high school and it wasn't something that was a big thing that I was aware of it by age 12, you know. Right, yeah. right. Makes sense. Let me ask, I mean, now when people see you, they've seen that you've been a professor at one of the the highest accredited institutes, you know, in in the world. But looking back on it, what would you say has been your biggest struggle, at least starting out when you decided to flip everything? If you can look back at even, let's say, that first 10 to 15 year period, what was your biggest struggle? Well, it, uh, I'd say it, it wasn't really a struggle to me. It was just doing stuff, and uh, I sort of have a blessed with the kind of personality. I just get the job done, whatever it is, if I decide I'm going to do it, and whatever it takes, I do it, and I generally get off on doing stuff and get satisfaction out of doing it. So it isn't if I had to pull an all-nighter, I didn't come in grumpy the next day, you know, or uh, stuff like that. I, I would just uh, do it. And, you know, I worked, I actually worked a lot to sort of self-support myself. And so I was going to working at night and going to school during the day, but it was all okay. I, I, didn't, I didn't think of it as, uh, it was sort of a badge of honor to me. It wasn't really a, a struggle in terms of fighting anything like that. You know, they, of course, there'd be frustrations along the way, you know, but they, they were minor things. In the overall picture, it was, it was, this was a great life trip in a way. And as I say, there were things there. There's like this deep sadness in my heart from losing my mother and other things like that. But basically, I'm uh, blessed with a happy personality. I'm one of these people who doesn't get depressed and, uh, you know, so it's just, I, I didn't view it. I just, whatever it took, you do it if you, you know, and, uh, it, it, and, you know, there was, 
it's just whatever, whatever it is, you handle it. Got it. I love it. And and it's that grind, that that school of hard knocks, right? That that you know, life it doesn't happen uh to you, it happens for you. Uh-huh. And so you it's always going to be about how you respond. And so looking at your background, it looks like that you've always been able to respond very well and respond in a positive yeah. manager that yeah. kept your energy going. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love it. Now, for a lot of people right now, there's the struggle of how do they not allow their problems to overshadow their dreams? Because they 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 have these dreams, but yeah. it, they're looking at it right now to say that they don't have enough resources. Maybe yeah. they could never get into Stanford to try to build those connections and those relationships. What's that first step for someone being able to overcome in any of their insecurities, would you say? Yeah. Well, it's you know a lot. To, a lot depends on who you are in terms of your DNA and your your environmental experiences and stuff like that. So, it's really um, it's easier for some people and it's harder for others. So, in my case, my wife has the opposite kind of personality. So, for her, everything is a struggle. Everything is hard, and she is easily defeated even though she has a lot of talent and abilities. So uh, it's just a matter of how you approach the stuff is going to be different in terms of your makeup. But within that, it's this matter of, I'd say, being very clear of what your intention is, what is it you want to actually do, and then committing to doing it. It's as simple as that. But And it's generally the way people do it. If they want to change stuff and things are not going well, there's this whole idea of pers- personal efficacy. And the way you do it is one step at a time. So, you know, people pe- people have a lot of dreams, like they have pipe dreams. They want to be billionaires or millionaires or trillionaires or something like that. But that's just a pipe dream. You know, they're not going to do anything about it. And it's probably not going to happen, of course. Uh you know, they might win the lottery, they might not, but it's not about to happen for most people. But in fact, if you change your stuff, if you find out what the real issue is that you want and you move on it one step at a time, it's self-reinforcing. So a little bit of success promotes you to go further that way. And so that's the basic tool is, A, make sure you're working on the right problem. If you were, if you want to do something, not an abstract pipe dream, but something you really want to do. And, and then make sure you have the right issue of attacking it. And that usually involves reframing. We call, we call that just uh, make, making sure that you're working on the right thing. And, and then committing to doing it and then if there's an obstacle, I, I say it's the difference between trying to do something and doing something. So if you're trying to do something, you'll get an obstacle that'll block you and you'll give up. Mm. If you're doing something, it doesn't matter if you hit an obstacle, you'll find a way around it. And often in finding a way around it, you get a more magical solution or a more magical outcome than you would if the obstacle wasn't there. So I've been told by people who, you know, serial entrepreneurs and uh, done very successful things that almost everything they've done, they've had an obstacle. And it was this obstacle itself which helped them overcome that and in doing so they got to some place they never would have gotten before so uh there's a great story of uh, of a guy um 
I met him when I first came to Stanford, and he had been a swimmer, and he wanted, he wanted, he was thinking about going to the Olympics. And what happened is he had an accident in the shower, and he broke his back. Mm. And so he had a, an operation. The surgeon told him he'll never swim competitively again. And of course, he was destroyed. And as he got better, he went, he went to some guru who advised him. And the guru said, well, if you want to do it, do it. Nobody can stop you from doing it. You know, you're the guy who determines what you do and don't do. So he started training intensively in a local reservoir, swimming, swimming. And then he actually got the last place on the Olympic team. You know, it was between him and someone else. He just squeezed it and he just got it. And he went to the Olympics and he won a gold medal and he set the world record in that sport at the time. And mm. he came back and he put the medal down on the doctor's desk. <laughs> and his point, and he's a serial entrepreneur, and his point was that that whole experience of him taught him something in his life that it's just a matter of nobody can tell you what you can and can't do. And if you want to do it, you just got to work on it. And whatever the obstacles are, you got to get around and encounter them. And then he has similar stories and more prosaic uh, commercial ventures where, again, there's always a blockage and you get around. And it usually comes to this whole idea of reframing the problem. If you're blocked, it's because you're usually working on the wrong problem. And if you reframe it, you get the right issue, it usually can go away very quickly or it'll almost solve itself. So that, that's the kind of uh, framework in which I I know a lot of people operate and it's a really good framework to have. And, you know, I talk about it a little bit in my books. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Now, one thing that a lot, a lot of people struggle with is when they first come out with this idea, it's about, do I have partners? How do I communicate effectively my idea? And the reason why I think that you're a great person to answer this is because being at Stanford, we know that some of the biggest names when it comes to entrepreneurship has, has been at Stanford, right? And so for you, do you feel like that that is one of the number one things that helps people to succeed? Is it the idea and the execution? or is it the relationships that people are able to form? Yeah, well, it's it's both. It's funny, you know, people think, well, they have a great idea, a great invention, and the world's going to be competing to their door. It doesn't work that way. Right. Have, having the idea and all that, it's useful, but it's not so. In fact, my friends who, I have a lot of friends who help to teach entrepreneurs and things of that nation. We start a lot of companies. I'm involved in something called the D school with one of our classes is to start launch pad to start companies. Mm -hmm. And the people who teach that tell me that uh, what they find is that, you know, it's good to have a good idea, but really more telling than that is the company. It's the people you work with the group. And if you have a good group, of starter of people to, who, who are going to work with you to start the company, it's much more important than having a good idea. Because even if you have a bad idea, if you have a good group of people, you'll, it'll merge. It'll eventually get to a good idea. Right. And if you have a good idea and you have a bad group of people, it's not going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So really, that the whole thing is that way. But on the other hand, it's also to realize we, we're all different. So I, I myself uh, seem to have this ability to 
to get along well with people, uh, have a good intuitive sense about others. Uh, so I'm sensitive to other people, and I, I generally have very good relations with people. And that's very useful, and, uh, and that's worldwide in, in my work, my research, and all that. There are other people who are really big son of a bitches, you know. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to deal with them. Probably their mother doesn't even like them, you know. And they're successful, so it's really hard to say. You know, some of the big names, the most, I don't want to mention any names on your program, but some of the most famous people are not people that even their friends don't like them. You know what wow. I mean? They're not people that are nice to work with and all that, but they're very driven and they're successful. You know, they, they, they have a vision and they're successful. So I'd say it's really, you can't really generalize totally and a lot goes with your personality and what you feel good. So I would feel really awful being a big son of a bitch and hard to work with kind of person. It just doesn't fit my self-image. Other guys, that's their self-image and the nastier you think they are, the happier they are. So a lot depends on your self-image and all that. But in general, and you know, if you have an extraordinary talent and extraordinary drive, probably you can get away with a lot and do it. And if, if you have less, you probably can get away with less. But in general, the idea is it's much better to, 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 to have a, a really good functioning team and it's really important who you work with. And uh, I would vote that way temperamentally. Hey, what's up, Dream Builder? Have you been getting any value out of this episode? Would you like to get more exclusive content just like this delivered right to your inbox? If so, head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com and you can sign up for the email list and that will give you access to exclusive content and more interviews just like this that's going to be delivered only to our tribe. So head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. Got it. I love it. Now, some of the biggest entrepreneurs, like you said, so many people that have different ideas. What would you say, as these art ideas are brought across your de your desk, your table, and you're analyzing them, and you just have an opinion, whether it's right yeah. or wrong, yeah, yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to see if there's anything that you feel like there's a common trait on what you've seen, why certain people have succeeded versus certain people have not. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it has to do with this personality thing. It hasn't, I, as I say, I, I don't think it's the idea per se. It's the, the drive. It's the person. It's it's the commitment to, to have the intention to do it, to give it the attention it requires, and that makes it go. It's not so much. There are a lot of good ideas around that don't go anywhere, and mm -hmm. why are the ones that go and some bad ideas go someplace. So what? Why? What is that all about? Well, I do think it has to do with this inner resolve and the people who are involved in it, and that's and good luck, you know, or dumb luck, you know, just uh, things like that. Just some guy, guy was over. I had some friends over yesterday uh, just for a socially appropriate distance uh, glass of wine. And one of them, uh, he, he's from Ireland, he was saying, you know, he, he went, he had he and a partner had an idea and they went, it was one day they went to the bank and they took all the money they had in the family. He got a check and his partner got a check and they took it to a third bank where they 
started a company and then they went home and told their wives and their wives and they went crazy because they took everything they had and they invested in this thing. And it turns out it turned out okay. And, you know, they, they, they made out very well on this thing. But it was this whole idea. It's, it's a crazy thing to do. Not everybody will do that, right? right? Not even mention it to your wife. Take all the money you have and put it into some idea. So they're kind of driven guy, and he's a very successful guy. This this friend of mine. So it's an example. There's something there that most people don't do. Okay, those who do, it. some it turns awful, you know, and they commit suicide. You know, not every story has a happy ending, but there are these things of Janet's luck. You know, I find that almost anything in my in my life, including my biggest financial win with a company and all that, was by accident. In other words, it wasn't planned. So there was a phone call, there was an opportunity, and I said yes. There could have been there many phone calls and opportunities where I said no. Okay. I don't have any idea how those would have turned out. But I would say all the big things, like at Stanford, it's a great example. I, I actually had a job at Columbia University. And I was going to start. I had finished my PhD, and I was going to start in the fall. And in August, I got a. I had applied previously. I hadn't heard from various schools. And I got a, a call from Stanford. Why don't you come out for an interview? And it was August. I was going to start September, you know, Labor Day, the school start in New York. So I was going to start to be an assistant professor at Columbia in Labor Day, essentially, right? So I think, well, the world owes you a free trip to California. There's no way I'll take the job. But let me go have a nice vacation, take my wife and leave the kids with some nanny and go, go have a nice time in California for a week or so. So we went. And I met a guy here who was extraordinary, who was very different. And I thought, you know, it would be really, they offered me a job. And I, I thought, you know, it would be really interesting to work with this guy. So I went back and I begged my way off at Columbia and they were very nice about it. And within two weeks, I was packed up and in California. And then the guy died a year after I got here <laughs> and I was left on my own. All that turned out to be marvelous, okay? Now, I couldn't have planned any of it. And right. if I stayed in New York, I probably would have had a great life, too. It's not that it's either or. But I'm just saying those are like big, pivotal things in my life. I've been here over 50 years, you know. Wow. Uh, other than my Bronx accent, you know, I'm all, I'm a California guy. Yeah. So that, that was a big change. But there have been other changes also in my life like that. And they came from just like literally a phone call, which if it hadn't happened, that change would have never occurred. And also big financial things. You know, someone met someone in Washington and said, oh, yeah, you want to talk to Bernie Roth. So he talks to me and things led to something. So it's just life is that way. It's just a matter of opportunities and, you know, being prepared is good, of course. But it also you just have to be lucky. A lot of things are dumb luck, really, I find. And it could have not happened. And maybe something else would have happened. I, mean, I don't. It's not a, a. You know, it's not a zero sum game. I think you can you can be happy in many ways if you're lucky about that. And I feel lucky. And it isn't that my life doesn't have a lot of negative things in it. You know, it's my mother's death. There's all sorts of illnesses. And, you know, it's like everyone's life. It isn't that nothing bad has happened. A lot of bad things have happened in my life, but I don't get knocked down by them. 
I just, they're just part of life. You know, I just accept this with the good and the bad. And so that depends so much on you. You know, if you're going to get knocked down, anything bad happens, you're going to have trouble getting up. Right. I love it. And, and that goes back to the point of saying life is not happening to you. It's happening for you. Right. And, and I love the fact that you, you, you've been open about the fact that so many things have happened as far as luck. And I always say when I'm speaking, I say that when hard work meets opportunity, it looks a lot like luck. A lot of people don't don't understand that they are already going through the grind, putting in that hard work, and you're just looking for that one door to be opened up. Yeah. Do you think that you can create your own luck? Yeah. Well, you know, they say you, if you know if you talk to people about this, the party line is you have to be prepared. So when something comes your way, if you're prepared for it. It makes a lot of sense, you know. So, you know, I don't know if you, you ever saw the, um, the, this movie about um, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Did you ever see that movie? I don't think I have, but, was, but definitely tell us about it. It's based on a true story, and it ends up this Englishman uh, is sort of the leader of the Arab rebellion against the Turkish uh, occupiers of that part of the world. And it's a historical thing. And it said like his whole life was in preparation to that because he had learned Arabic, which most Englishmen don't. He had spent many years in the desert. He was like an ascetic. He had like a lot of these skills, which all came together and did that. Okay. And I sometimes feel the same thing about myself, not on that scale, of course, but uh, like this thing I'm doing now, I'm a, sort of called the academic director of the D school and it takes a whole bunch of skills and it turns out most of those skills I already had mm. even though I never had done a job like that before and it was felt like at times that my whole life was in preparation for this not that I was preparing for it so that's the way it is we we, we all have a bunch of things we learn whatever it is and if we're lucky, something will come up where we can apply all that and it'll feel like so natural, okay? Mm. And if not, we feel we're in the wrong place and a lot of right. people do, unfortunately. But that's all dumb luck and chance, but you can be prepared. I mean, you can uh, do other things than just sit and watch TV all day long. <laughs> Although apparently the guy became president doing that. I don't know. Right. Right. So that's a skill set that's good for him but uh, basically uh it depends uh, it depends what you do and if you have a lot of things you can adapt and you learn so it's just a matter of of just uh enjoying being able to do stuff and not looking as everything is a burden so if you look at everything as a burden you know it, pushes you down to the ground if you look at everything as an opportunity that's a big mm. silicon valley thing right there right. are no problems everything is an opportunity everything the, is figure outable the bigger the opportunity you know so so that's you know that's the enlightened people's view of it but it is in that sound you know it's a little hokey and a little bit sort of clannish that to view that way and i'm not in any way, you know, I know people have a lot of real problems in life and issues in life, and not everyone has has it easy. But there is something nice about that view to that to to just reframe problems as opportunities, and they really are in a way to do that. And and the opposite view is to just be 
pushed down by it, that, you know, you have this big load on your back and there's nothing you can do, so you might as well just make yourself drunk or, you know, get yourself in some other space chemically and just ignore it. And, you know, that could be useful also, but it's not, it's not really building to anything. And if you can actually take the problem and approach, if, you, if you're trying to do it, it just doesn't go. Obviously, you don't have the right approach to it. Mm. So you have what we call reframe the problem. And if you reframe it, then it may be an opportunity that takes you to some place. And there are a lot of, you know, there are thousands of stories in the world of people who've done that. And your, your, your own story is that way. It's a good example of, uh, you know, you took when you were in a really bad shape, you took it and turned it into something which has made you something proud of so it's that and that's there's a lot of stories like that and uh, you know a lot of stories go the other way so it's your call you know really it is your call it's not preordained in my view and it's and it's not one answer and there are people who do it and then you can either think of it as a struggle or you can think of it as what life's about you know and so i love it I love it. And the thing that that stuck out to me, and, and you dropped so much value right there, but you talked about being prepared, right? And there's something that I learned, but it says, you know, when people are poor, why they stay poor, poor doesn't mean money, because if you don't have any money, that just means that you're broke. Poor means passing over opportunities repeatedly. Right. And just like you said, by the number of phone calls that you've gotten, there's some that you've passed over, but there's some that you've taken that call and you just made the jump. So it's yeah. about being prepared. And, and the thing that I loved about it was instantly I thought about like the greatest quarterbacks and right. Tom Brady has been yeah. a great quarterback, arguably the greatest, but they prepare for that two minute warning. Right. Yeah. They prepare. So at the end of that game, the fourth quarter, they've prepared this so many times that then when they're in the moment. Yeah. Well, well, that's what people don't understand. Like even and if you take like the most famous basketball players, these guys are practicing all the time. I mean, you know, they've been doing this since they're kids. You think they know how to shoot a ball. Into, and they as pros, they're still practicing all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's this thing that uh, it's it's a thing of having giving it the attention it requires. And the people who are excellent, you know, you may be blessed with a good body. You may be favored certain abilities and you have to do stuff. <laughs> Beyond, right. You have to take it whatever level you are and that people don't realize it's not. It's it, it's not that it's hard. It's just you have to do it, and it could be fun doing it or not. You know, it depends on your attitude. But it's not like people aren't doing stuff. So, you know, people who are writing books are staying up all night and writing books. It isn't doesn't just come like that. People people are doing stuff, but they generally there may be a little pain in it, but really they're being nurtured by that activity in some way, and that's what you want to get to. And it's not free, and you have to do it. And if you're doing it, you might as well do it in the way that you like it and it empowers you rather than the way that drags you down. And you get this attitude, you know, I had that in school, the attitude, you know, homework, that's such a drag, you know, who, why, would you do, why would you do that unless they make you do it and stuff? And, you know, it became a pleasure. Then became, I was proud. Let me get up on the board and show you I solved this problem, right. you know. So it's just it's just your head where you, where your head is is really important in a lot of this stuff, and that determines a lot of where where you go. 
I love it. I love it. Over the last, you've obviously been exposed to so many things, right? Over, you know, the last 50, 60, 70 years. Well, when it comes to, and obviously you've read and listened to a lot of things in the particular medium of book reads, because we always love to share wisdom. Has there been any book in the last, let's say five years that's really inspired you and you always recommend to anyone who reaches out that they're trying to blaze their own path, that this is a great foundational book to start with? Yeah. Well, there too, there's one book that's uh, Beryl Markham is the author. It's been out of print for a while, but it's, uh, I think Ernest Hemingway said it was his favorite book. Mm. And it's called uh, something out of the West into the night. Got it. Okay. Beryl Markham is the author. So I always recommend that as a really just well-written book that talks to people, but it has nothing to do with the things we're talking about. The things we're talking about, the book I found most inspirational in my own life is one called The Adjusted American, which is also out of print and hmm. which means you can buy it for like 50 cents on the internet. <laughs> and both authors are dead. Uh, I did meet one of them several years before she died, but it's a book essentially uh, that inspired me to write my book. And it's a book about human behavior written by sociologists and mm. it's called The Adjusted American. So it's a kind of, uh, uh, it's funny, I'm giving my book talks, one guy raises it and he said, you know, that book, when I grew up, that was the favorite book in my household. But it's a book that didn't get a lot of play when it was out there. But I, And it's very, it's kind of hard to read nowadays because it's, uh, written the way people wrote books 50 years ago and it's very sexist got it it's written by basically by a woman it's very male-oriented language and uh the the examples are stick figures that are very cliche got it get past all that which is a good lesson to get past that stuff and to look at what the real content is rather than the form there's a lot of wisdom in there i found Got it. Well, yeah, well, definitely. I'm sure it's always good to have different perspectives. And I think you put it in a way, right? Yeah. To, if you can get past the messenger and just listen, look at the message, there might be one or two nuggets that you apply and the rest of them, you might say, hey, that's yeah. not, you know, that doesn't stand with my values, my morals. Yeah. But overall, it's good to always have a different yeah. perspective. Yeah, yeah. So for someone right now who is listening to you and they love what you've been able to accomplish and they think that you have a lot of wisdom and nuggets and they want to blaze a path similar to this, but they have that little voice in their head, that little voice that says that they're not strong enough, they're not smart enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. What would be the one thing that you would say that person to get them to just take action? Sure. Before I answer, they say everyone should find their bliss. Well, how do you find the bliss? You don't know which drawer to look into you find your bliss. So how you find your bliss uh, is to do stuff and to try stuff. And happily, you'll if you're lucky, you'll happen onto something which really talks to you and resonates to you. But it all gets down to not sitting and just smoking a joint and thinking about dreaming what you're going to be. It's a matter of doing stuff. And so you have to do things. You have to engage in different things. And if you do a little bit at a time, you get a reward, you feel positive, and eventually you become graded i remember i i when i graduated i had to i had to learn something about some subject so i got a book and i read it and i didn't understand the word really it was 
tough math book and beyond me but I needed this stuff so I read it again I started to understand it the third time and about two years later I was the world's expert in that stuff <laughs> well I started from zero from negative you understand but it's right. just something I needed and I persevered with it and I got there and I think that's true with everything I mean nobody you know these guys all these people here who started the Google boys or all that they didn't start with that you know they stumbled into it one step at a time they didn't even know what they were going to do I, I remember someone asked one of them well, well how are you going to commercialize this algorithm you have he said I have no idea well mm. that, this whole idea of embedding. Did you meet them before Google got big? Did you know them? I didn't know. I, I, I knew who they were. I didn't know them personally, but my friend was the advisor of one of them, a good friend in computer science. So, but he he tells me, he asked them, how are you going to come? He had student came with this good idea about this algorithm. How you come? I, they had no idea. Okay, and but they found out. They've done very well with it. Okay, right. so that's the idea. You don't know. You don't have the whole thing. When we started the D school, we had ideas about it, but as we went, we changed. So what we do now, what we have now, is a far cry from what we started. And I could have never imagined where we would be, and all the people are involved. And you can't see the whole thing to begin with you take one little step and it creates something another step another step another step and you change as you go along it's the same well you know when i sat down to write my book i had no i had three books in mind i wasn't sure which one i said well i'm going to start on september 1st i sat down and this thing poured out and it, you know, developed and I was very satisfied with it. But it's just kind of this kind of thing you could sit forever until the right moment comes, it will never come. And right. the only right moment is right now. And I if you it. do something, you have to do it. And it's okay. You know, we say if you fail, it's okay if you learn from it. So we call it failing forward. So the, the, the thing about fail, failure or, you know, stuff not working is it could be a blessing. It, it gives you a good lesson which way to go. And you can't get there unless you try out stuff and move ahead. So the name of the game is to do stuff and learn from what you're doing and then adjust and hopefully you'll get somewhere. And if not, it was the journey that was the fun anyway. What the hell's the difference where the end is? We all know where the end is. You're going to die, right? The end right. is we're all going to die. And hopefully I'll die long before you do because you're much younger than me. But, you know, we all die. And that's the end. So the question is, what do you do with the journey? And you get to control that. And it's so interesting uh, how some people make it a magnificent thing and for others it's a horrible experience yeah yeah I, I love it. There's so much truth, so much knowledge in there. And it reminds me of one of the stories of the Kingsman and his horse. And it's basically the tale of who knows what's good or what's bad, right? Yeah. And and we often attach an emotion to something and we don't know, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't the end of your road, right? It's just where you are right now, but things will change different seasons, you know, and different reasons of why they change. So you just have to take the good with the bad and understand that just like you said, there's a lesson out of everything. And one of the things that I always tell my friends and family is regret weighs tons, but failure only weighs ounces, right? Regret weighs tons. So, and, and the moral of the story is, you know, it's better to have tried it and failed than have never tried it at all and have regret because at the end of your day, you can't get the time back. 
Absolutely. Well, you know, you give everything in your life its meaning. So something happened, okay? And then you could spend the rest of your life regretting it, or you could just, it happened, and go on and never even think about it again. You get right. to control what you do about that. And everything is that way. You, it, nothing has an intrinsic meaning. And, and it's so interesting that some people think it must be that way, or the way I see it is true. And it's, it's so distorted by your experience, your, your genetic input for going back millions of generations. <laughs> you know, we, we're so kind of not uh, objective observers of the world. It's impossible to be an objective observer of the world because mm. we are who we are. So everything gets filtered through, A, just the mechanical ability of our senses, and two, our brain processing all that stuff, and our eyes, by the time whatever comes in, gets to the back of our head. We've changed it in so many ways. Right. And so uh, it's you know, to totally, it's kind of arbitrary. You're making up all this stuff, and you call it your real life. I love it. For anybody who wants to stay connected with you, where can they find you at? Well, I'm at Stanford. I have this web page about my book, which is called www.achievementhabit, not the the, but just achievementhabit, one word, dot com. That's a good place to look. And otherwise, they could find me at Stanford. And uh, B. Roth at Stanford is my email. Yeah. Dot, Got it. Yeah. And we'll make sure that we have all of those links in the show notes for people to be able to find you. But I want to be the first one to kick off the thank you train. This has been an amazing conversation and I appreciate you coming on here, sharing your wisdom, sharing your backstory and sharing how someone else can take this, whatever journey that they are on, they can take the same obstacles just like you had in the beginning and they could turn it into a life that they're proud of. So remember Dream Nation, just as he said, in the dream, you got to trust, but you have to be a doer because otherwise it'll only merely be a fantasy we'll catch you on the next one thank you casanova it's been a delight being with you really thank you that's all we got for this episode thank you for sticking around that truly means a lot to me and hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one if you haven't already the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side.